We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today we're talking about our rivers. They serve us in many ways, but we have a responsibility to serve them, too. A conference is being held here this week in which scientists, regulators, and environmentalists will focus on river-related policies. Joining me in studio are Bob Chris, Professor of Earth and Planetary Sciences at Washington University. David Stokes is Executive Director of the Great Rivers Habitat Alliance. Professor Jonathan Remo is with SIU Carbondale's Department of Geography and Environmental Resources and directs its Environmental Resources and Policy Program. He joins us by phone. Gentlemen, thank you all for being with us. Great Mm -hmm. to have you. Great to be here, Don. Thanks. Great to be here. Bob, Chris, let me start with you. What are the major challenges facing us and our rivers today? Uh, Major challenges would be appropriate land use, uh, stopping a flood point development that's unnecessary and often carries a lot of risk. I think uh, our bar- the economics of our barge industry need to be looked at. And finally, uh, a major issue is uh, unrealistic flood risk or assessments. Sounds like it's a pretty full table. Yeah, it's a very full table, sir. David Stokes, let me get that, uh, your perspective on all of this. Well, our focus at, at Great Rivers Habitat Alliance is trying to trying to educate people about those problems that Professor Chris just discussed and to try and oppose, at least in the greater area of the confluence of the Mississippi, Missouri, and Illinois rivers, so much of the floodplain development that we, that we see that never seems to stop. Even as the floods get worse and the floods get more frequent, as we've seen two major floods in the last three years in our region. But no, nonetheless, Cities keep trying to destroy and pave over the floodplain constantly with for new new malls, new hotels, new new homes, whatever, and and it keeps making it worse. Yet somehow, you know, the, these cities in our region, Maryland Heights has major efforts going forward right now. There's there's proposals elsewhere. They just want to keep paving over that floodplain with seemingly no concerns about about making the next flood even worse. Which means the water has no place to go. The impervious aspect of this keeps the water into those sewers or what have you, and, and storm drains, and off they go into the rivers. They do, and, and many, most of these developments also involve new levees, which might protect what's immediately behind the levee, assuming the levee holds. But even if the levee does its job, it simply means that water is going to flood somebody else, somebody else who didn't use, didn't know to expect it, somebody else who thought they were five, six, seven feet or more outside of the floodplain. And that's what we've seen along the Merrimack River now twice, is these floods were getting to, to places that the water had never come close to before of those two floods in the past three years. People who thought they'd bought or built responsibly are being affected by the poor choices elsewhere. Uh, Jonathan Remo, is there anything left for you to be concerned about? Wow, that's a full plate. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I agree with both uh, guests. Um, and also to you know chime in here, we also have uh, conflicting issues with our national uh, flood policy. So it's uh, kind of kind of a mess. Well, let's take a look at that national flood policy and how it uh, impacts us here. What, what is the policy, and how does it impact us? Well, it's pretty much the national flood policy comes down to the national flood insurance program. So some of your viewers may be aware that it's 
policy the federal government has. If you live in a floodplain, you should have uh, insurance uh, for that to protect against uh, damages. Uh, the only real stick the federal government has is under, uh, for homeowners at least, is when you have a federally backed mortgage, they um, require you to have flood owner insurance. If you don't have a mortgage or if you're not a residential structure, you're not required to have that. But the maps that are produced to determine who is in and out of the floodplain are used by a whole host of folks, and it sets the stage for uh, federal policy. This sounds like it's an issue on the other end of much of what we're talking about today, and that is, uh, you know, you want to prevent the floods, uh, but when you can't, insurance does become the issue. Right. Insurance is is part of the issue. Um, But we also have other forms of programs that get into the floodplain. We have the Army Corps Levy Safety Program. We have crop insurance, and they're not always quite aligned to um, persuade folks to do what's best for reducing flood hazards. Bob, Chris, with all the, the issues that we've uh, already talked about here, it seems to me like there are an awful lot of players who would get involved in this, and that, I would assume, might be an issue in itself. Uh, too many players, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Go into that just in a little more detail. I, I hardly can. There's developers, there's agricultural interests, there's all kinds of uh, subsidized uh, people, whether they're barge industry or the agricultural and fossil fuel uh, interests that depend on uh, cheap transportation. That transportation is highly subsidized. It, uh, uh, anyway, e- even with the Missouri River, there's all kinds of water quantity issues. We're continuing to, and we'll see increasing fights over just the amount of water in the river. There's proposed diversions to different states. There's diversions out of the basin that are proposed. The upper basin states are fighting the lower basin states. The Indian nations have often been left out of the equation, and they're worried about pipelines crossing the river. The number of stakeholders, so-called, is uh, enormous, and the problems are politically very complex. And David Stokes, how do you bring all these uh, disparate groups together? Well, uh, (laughs) unfortunately, the one thing many of these disparate groups, the developers, the barge industry, the agriculture, the one thing they all agree on is the need for taxpayer subsidies for their programs, whether it's a new shopping mall in the floodplain with tax increment financing or, or the barge industry getting the Corps of Engineers paying for the, far sh- the much larger share of the dredging and other things to keep the rivers open. You know, the one constant is that the average taxpayer is footing the bill for, for river and water policies that benefit, that benefit the private sector but socialize the cost to the public, all while at the same time d- making flooding worse and damaging our, our river environment and, and making the flood problems worse. So the average taxpayer is really the one on the hook for for a lot of this, and that all up and down the, the level, especially including those giant malls we, we see dotting the floodplain throughout the St. Louis region, which, you know, 30, 40 years ago wouldn't have been subsidized. But now with, with tax increment financing and other types of vehicles, it's common practice to, to subsidize just about every major development now, and that helps to damage our, our river environment. Jonathan Remo, is this the time to be looking for more help, financial and otherwise, from the federal government? No, a lot of these problems are local. I mean, all land use policy in the United States is 
pretty much set by the locals. It's up to the state and then eventually the federal government to kind of hold our flood policies in check. Um, but obviously with all the things going on, they're not succeeding too well, particularly, particularly in the St. Louis region. And why is that? Well, why is that? Because people, <laughs> uh, the level, it seems to me at least, and there's more opinion than fact here, that um, no one's really holding folks accountable for this development. You know, how the National Flood Church Program is set up is that each community that participates in the program sets up its own rules you know, to follow, and then it's up for the, the uh, locals to look at the local government to make sure people in their jurisdiction are following the rules. It's up to the state government to look at the people in all its jurisdictions are following rules, and it's up to the federal government to make sure all the states are following all the rules uh, related to this. But with this development, and along with some policy holes in here, um, it doesn't seem to be working too well. Bob, Chris, uh, who should be holding these entities accountable? Golly, I think the way to hold entities accountable is to quit subsidizing them. The taxpayers ultimately need to hold people accountable. You go to jail if you don't pay your taxes. Well, you and I go to jail, but (laughs) not everybody seems to. Um, We... We, when we subsidized, su- subsidies should be restricted to the future, to promoting a promising future. When you subsidize archaic industries, archaic industries, I would include uh, coal-fired power plants, uh, fossil fuel use, uh, certain agricultural practices, certain development practices, when these things are subsidized and they're counterproductive to where we have to move as a society, they shouldn't be subsidized at all. Uh, and, we, go uh, ahead. I didn't, I didn't I, I'm just saying the taxpayers ultimately have to uh, stop these uh, pernicious uh, uh, developments. We have some callers that I want to bring into the conversation, but, uh, David, you wanted to, to add something? Well, as for who needs to hold people accountable, St. Charles County is a perfect example of the problems because in St. Charles County you have a county, the county government, which is trying to take a big-picture view of the situation and tries to limit uh, floodplain development as much as it can and tries to be responsible. But the many cities within St. Charles County take a much more narrow view of it, like St. Peter's with their new levies and their new developments. They just look at what's good for the city. And unfortunately, the county doesn't have the authority, really, to limit what the cities do. And in St. Louis County, with Chesterfield and Maryland Heights and on and on and on, all competing for the almighty sales tax dollar, the fragmented nature of local government in Missouri is is where it's is proving how it is exactly the wrong way to go about it. My impression is that uh, the, where we are right now, damage is already being done uh, with what situation we have now beyond uh, future development. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube here, that what we have is already a big problem. That's not going to go away. Now, we really need the state of Missouri to step up and do what Wisconsin and Minnesota and a few other states have done and enact statewide tougher floodplain development rules. And I would love to see counties as well get far more authority at floodplain development decisions because cities have proven themselves absolutely incapable of making anything beyond a short-term decision for more sales tax money. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan, anything you'd like to add to that? Anything I'd like to add to that? Well, no, not I mean, not off the top of my head. He's pretty much hit the nail on the head until 
uh, we figure out how to get the system, the incentives aligned uh, correctly to have sound floodplain management, we're not going to make any progress. We're just going to see more and more damage being done until we all run out of money. I have to take a break. Let's do that now. We'll come back, continue our conversation on managing our rivers, and we'll do that in just a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. And welcome back. We're continuing our conversation on managing our rivers. With me in studio is Bob Chris, professor of earth and planetary sciences at Washington University, David Stokes, executive director of the Great Rivers Habitat Alliance, and joining us by phone is Jonathan Remo, associate professor at SIU in Carbondale. I want to take a call right off the bat, gentlemen. I understand that Sally in St. Louis has uh, a very good question or two for us. Go ahead, Sally. You're on the air. Hi, fellas. Thanks a lot for the show. Just wanted to remind everybody that there's been a huge change with in St. Louis and St. Louis County, how our waters are managed. And um, the streams, everything that we throw out the window, mostly what I'm noticing, cigarette butts and um, trash, and it's just going directly into the rivers and into the, into the ocean. So uh, the animals are eating this. A lot of them are dying because of this. And um, I am really concerned about the fact that hearing all of these huge, huge dumps of plastic that are swirling in the ocean in the different gyres that uh, we've got, we've got this stuff that's just a plastic slurry now of, of stuff. And um, we're not attending to it. We're not, I mean, here we're trying to like do the right thing, but our water systems and, and our, uh, are, are not, they're not behaving as people are behaving. So Sally, people are not connecting that. Throwing stuff out the window gets washed out right. into these streams. Sal- Sally, we have the point, and thank you very much. And, of course, everything that winds up in these plastic islands in the middle of the ocean starts uh, in, in, in this gutter and wakes its way to the rivers and makes its way to the ocean. Uh, let me uh, take that to you, uh, Jonathan Remo. You have the word environment or environmental in your title. Uh, uh, what do you think of uh, Sally's comments? Uh, she's right. I mean, we need to do better with our debris management. Not only do we have to worry about what people are throwing out the window, we've got to worry about what they're flushing down the toilets. Um, you know, the, there's big issues nowadays with uh, all kinds of water quality, uh, antibiotics ending up in our water systems, and all kinds of products used in um, beauty supplies, microplastics, which are potentially, uh, really potentially impacting the environment. We don't know a whole lot about some of these things. So up to us, up to everyone, I guess, to at least, you know, try to take care of the trash and be uh, thoughtful when, when you flush things down the toilet. Uh, David Stokes, uh, from time to time, you hear people t- uh, describe our rivers as being little more than sewers. Is that unfair? Well, I, you know, I think water cleanliness has gotten better in the past few decades. I think we all, we all remember the Cleveland, the lake getting on fire in, in Cleveland, and I think the, I think the Mississippi River is, is cleaner than it, it used to be in industrial areas along the Midwest. But it needs to get better. It's 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 still. Too, I mean, what we're seeing in the oceans with these plastic garbage fields is is horrible. And whether it's be better recycling or better 
mixture of pricing to to encourage people to to save on the save on their own or, or more mandates, whatever is necessary. Uh, clearly, we need to do more to prevent to prevent additional damage to our ocean and rivers. Um, Bob, Chris, what about basic infrastructure issues? Uh, uh, what kind of shape are, are the levees in overall? What kind of shape are the locks and dams in overall? They, the levees do need uh, some uh, uh, protection and maintenance. And the Army Corps claims that uh, even a majority of them are uh, marginally uh, acceptable at current time. That's certainly uh, happened and caused a lot of consternation in East St. Louis that uh, they lost their uh, accreditation a, a couple years ago and really had quite a large number of people upset because their flood insurance rates were going to go up. So what do we do, increase the height of the levees? Or is that, is that's, that an that's answer? That's not everything. A levee, a levee integrity has to do with animals burrowing into them and tree roots and stuff. Levees... Uh, commonly fail not just by simple overtopping, but by water tunneling through or beneath the levee, yeah. causing blowouts. Uh, that's even more common way of, of failure. Yeah. So uh, levee integrity and having proper drainage and pumping systems and stuff is all very important. David Stokes, what, what kind of a job is the Army Corps of Engineers doing, or, and could it do better? I think, I think it certainly could do better, and nobody wants... Nobody wants to see existing levees not soundly maintained and, and funded properly to keep them to keep them safe. But you know whether they be core levees or whether they we have so many independent levee districts in the St. Louis region and the Confluence region, I think the Corps needs to do a, a tougher job about about allowing levee expansion and new levees and to say no more often. I don't think the Corps should be allowing levees to be built to just protect large <clears throat> hundred or five hundred year levees to just protect open spaces because too often the, the independent levy districts are, are doing this so that they can then develop the land and turn it from farmland or recreational land into, into asphalt and, and concrete. And that's very bad for our long-term floodplain management and, and environmental health. So I think the Corps needs to take a much tougher, a much tougher look, particularly at permitting the levy district levies in this region. Uh, Jonathan Remo, what is all of this doing to habitat along the river? What is this all doing to habitat? Um, well, there's been a substantial reduction, you know, going back to before there were all the levees along the river. We have um, poor, or what's left of our floodplain forest is not in good shape because of the increased frequency of uh, flooding of these forests that are still connected to the river. And, um, you know, that's a good question. And one of the questions we look you know, here in academia look at is how much floodplain does a river need? And that's an ongoing decision. But right now we know or we can see or document through time that, you know, the health of the river has decreased along lines as the more development we've had along the river. Bob, Chris, you know, we've heard for years that uh, the people who complain about the way the uh, rivers and flooding is managed uh, saying, you know, it used to be the river would go where it wanted to go, and that was that. That That's never going to happen again. Probably not with our um, major rivers. Uh, they've been, their banks have been stabilized, and in some ways that's a good thing. We do have a depauperate uh, biodiversity now in our rivers. We have uh, very uh, uniform uh, habitat that's restricted to almost deep channel and nothing else, the shallows and 
islands are, are gone. The sandbars are mostly gone. These are nesting and spawning sites. Mm-hmm. The rivers are demonstrably more volatile, not only day to day, but year to year in terms of their response, which is why they're flooding so badly. Uh, just, just explain that, more volatility. I'm not sure I understand. The level changes more. If Even Lewis and Clark uh, made measurements on how much the, the river level changed every day. Sure. They put sticks in the side of the river, and the next morning they'd look uh, uh-huh. where the water was on the sticks that they placed right along the edge. And their journals are full for their permanent camps of what those readings are. The rivers are demonstrably more than twice as volatile. They change day to day. The change in water level is twice on average what it was historically. And to most of us, that look pretty much the same day to day, but they're not, obviously. They flood more aggressively. Yeah. Now they're flooding any time of year. Hmm. Uh, one of our last big floods was in uh, late 2015 and er- earliest 2016. I mean, we had the third highest water level ever on the Mississippi River just a couple years ago was on New Year's Day. Yeah. This yeah. is preposterous. Everybody, yeah, these rivers are not responding in a natural way. Everybody thought 93 was the big one, but there have been a couple of big ones since then, needless to say. Absolutely. And these are these are very complicated issues. And I would People who are interested in the work of Professor Chris and Professor Remo, I mean, they have – Google is a wonderful thing, and there's a lot of papers out there that sort of demonstrate what, what they're saying and give you the, the academic proof behind what, what they're saying on this show here. And, and they're both going to be talking about it at our conference on Wednesday, yeah. River Soundings, at the Jones Visitor <laughs> Center in Forest Park. Registration will begin at 1230, and then our keynote address is by John Barry, the author of Rising mm-hmm. Tide, about the Great Flood of 1927. He'll be speaking at – at 6 o'clock, and people can go to eventbrite.com, search for River Soundings, and register online for that. And we want to thank Merits for being the, the lead sponsor of the conference. We'll have uh, a link to that, all of that on our website at stlpublicradio.org. Let's go back to the phones and bring in Diane calling from Hazelwood. Diane, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Well, thank you very much for taking my call, and thanks for the program. Um, I live very, very close to the newest industrial complex that's going in currently in Hazelwood, just behind the Field Mills Mall. Um, we're in the process of continuing to rebuild our home from the last flood, and that New Year's Eve flood came within about a half of an inch from flooding us. In 93, we had 43 inches in the house, so this will be our second time rebuilding. Um, we had a conference with Hazelwood oh, probably about two weeks ago, who really has absolutely given us no resources. Uh, there is no buyout planned. I'm probably the only one on that end that will see water in their house much more drastically because of this. However... Army Corps of Engineers has signed off on this project. And again, the problem is is that the cities have authority over all of this. There is nowhere for us to go to challenge this. Diane, thanks for the call. I'd love to talk to you more about this. If you could call Great Rivers Habitat Alliance, uh, give me a call at at 314-918-1007 later this 
this afternoon or later this week. I'd love to hear more about that situation. And we'll put that number on uh, online also if you hadn't had a chance to take it down. So look at sdlpublicradio.org. Uh, let's bring in Jerry calling from O'Fallon, Missouri. Go ahead, Jerry, quickly, please. Well, I'll be very specific here. I'm not surprised but uh, extremely dismayed that the state of Missouri has allowed the uh, coal waste, which is, contains hundreds of carcinogens, uh, to be stored in a floodplain near the Lafty plant. As someone who's uh, endured two cancers that were due to environmental toxins, uh, it's very personal, but also could uh, greatly contribute to uh, a number of illnesses and detrimental effects across uh, that area is upstream of both the inlet for St. Charles County and St. Louis County for our drinking water. Uh, Jerry, thank you. thank you for the call. Bob, do you want to take a stab at that? I mean, that's something we've talked about a lot here, but it's it's Ameren that we're talking about. Well, wa- water quality is certainly an issue and how we make our energy and grow our foods an issue. Water quality, the, the biggest impact, impacts are at agrochemicals. We over-fertilize with nitrate. We poison the entire Gulf of Mexico. We Commonly in the summer, we've turned Lake Erie into a scum pond. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. Coal ash and these serious problems is just part of it. And we do need to do a lot better, and I totally agree with you. Uh, Jonathan Remo, you're uh, a presenter at the uh, the conference that David was talking about. What, what is your paper going to be on, if I may ask, and how does it relate to what we're talking about here? Well, I've been asked to talk about the issue uh, kind of just north of St. Louis, where uh, several levy districts have uh, inappropriately laser uh, racer levies, potentially pushing water onto um, its neighbors. And I'm going to be talking about some preliminary results I have from that analysis, both uh, from a flood perspective and both from an economic perspective. And, and Bob, you're also uh, presenting a paper there. What are you talking about specifically? I have something like eight or ten new papers uh, in the last three years. And I have a lot of new theoretical results on how watersheds respond to flooding, what... uh, how watersheds differ in character one to another, depending on their time scales of response. And I'll also be talking about river volatility, as well as uh, uh, a new way to uh, analyze the statistics of floods for non-stationary systems. Uh, David uh, Stokes, we've only got less than a minute left. Uh, Where do we go from here? Well, boy, boy, oh, boy. Eventually, (laughs) eventually we have to go to a place where we're – we reduced we reduced substantially the subsidies available for this type of for this type of river and, and environmental destruction, this type of floodplain destruction. And furthermore, we need, as I said earlier, Missouri to follow the lead of Wisconsin and Minnesota, and at times Illinois. Illinois sometimes does the right things and sometimes doesn't. And Missouri needs tougher statewide floodplain development regulations to put limits on this because the cities are never going to do it. We'll have to stop it right there, gentlemen. A very pessimistic discussion, (laughs) more so than I might have expected. But thanks to Bob Chris of Washington University, David Stokes of Great Rivers Habitat Alliance, and Jonathan Remo of SIU in Carbondale. A reminder, that event is Wednesday at the uh, starting at 1230 at the Visitor Center in Forest Park. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. 